holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. They went on a journey. Immediately the man who had, been, had received five talents went put them to work, and earn five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents." His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share the master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you hadn't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I return. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, For those who are visiting, my name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy to have you join us today. And I want to extend a special welcome home to some of our college students. Welcome home, Jack and Sully and Ella and... Caden, Colin, others, Trinity, really, it, is, it fills our hearts with joy to see your faces. So uh, we are continuing in this series called A Gospel Movement, all around the One Campaign. How do we risk, how might we risk for Jesus? What might he have for us to do? So I'm excited to dive into Matthew 25 with you today, but before we do so, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let me begin by asking you this question. Have you ever heard someone smile? Brett, have you ever heard someone smile? As written by journalist Hafsa Khalil back in August, when Isabella Payne, pictured here, 
heads back to elementary school in September, she go, she's going to have the best, quote, what did I do on my vacation story to tell. In a tale of right place at the right time, the eight-year-old girl from Kent in Southeast England spoke with an American astronaut, Kel Lindgren, about aboard the International Space Station using her dad's uh, amateur radio. Here's how the opportunity unfolded. On August the 2nd of this past summer, Isabella had just dropped off to sleep when her dad woke her, dragged her to the radio and thrust a microphone in her face. I was like, why are you doing this to me? I need my beauty sleep, the eight-year-old said. However, she'd soon discover why he was doing such. For from her dad's lap, Isabella was given the chance to talk with a real-life astronaut floating above them in outer space. From her dad's amateur radio, the young girl first told the astronaut her name and age, and here's the best part, friends. After her simple introduction, she recalls, quote, his voice instantly changed from normal to joyful. You could hear his smile. She went on to tell reporters, I was elated when I heard his voice. I thought it was a dream. And so back in August, a little girl in Southeast England somehow had a conversation with a real-life astronaut in outer space. How cool is that? Dads, we got to step up our game, right? Without getting into the weeds, apparently Isabella's dad is an amateur radio operator and had looked for this very opportunity for quite some time for his daughter. I just love her quote, you could hear his smile. Friends, when's the last time you heard someone smile? I share this story because today's passage, Matthew 25, captures this kind of joy and celebration. In what is known as the parable of the talents, Jesus reveals a lot about who he is and how we are to capitalize in certain moments or opportunities, how we are to risk for him. And this leads us to our big idea from our passage. When we understand the true identity and heart of Jesus, we will live boldly trusting in him. When we understand the true identity and heart of Jesus, we can and will live boldly trusting in him. We're gonna cut this into two uh, points. Point one, understand whether you haven't been to church in a long, long time, understand today the true identity and heart of Jesus. And two, from there, learn to live boldly trusting in him. So who's ready to dive into God's word? You ready? All right. Yes, I got a whoop. <laughs> Point one, understand the true identity and heart of Jesus. Our passage begins, for it, the kingdom... It's just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. So friends, to understand our text today, we need to understand its context. So what's the context here? Well, if you go back one chapter to Matthew chapter 24, his disciples, Jesus' disciples basically asked Jesus, What's your kingdom going to be like? Or perhaps asked differently, what is your leadership 
as king going to be like? To which Jesus then gave, him, gave them several direct and indirect answers. And so flipping to Matthew 25, he doesn't give them an answer as much as he gives them a parable or a story. Why would he do that? Well, I think he gave this story to reveal his true identity and his heart, not just to them, but to us, to his church. So look at this with me. First, his true identity. Let me ask, Miles, when you think of Jesus, Ashley, when you think of Jesus, what, what title or image comes to mind? Friends, when you think of Jesus, what picture comes to mind? Does a humble rabbi come to mind, like a teacher? Does a caring shepherd come to mind? Does a crucified savior come to mind or does a risen king come to mind? When you think of Jesus, when we think of Jesus, what picture or image comes to mind? In our passage, Jesus chose to share a story about a man, an owner or a master who decided to go on a long trip and entrust his possessions, his resources with multiple servants. And while there's mystery around the journey, there's no mystery around what he was asking from them, which was to steward his possessions well. It's, it's clearly implicit in our text. So on this long journey, the master goes. And if we have any literary majors in here, or any people are into editing, when you see repetition in any passage, be it in the Bible or elsewhere, that should cause you or cause us to pause and go, what's being uh, what's the point being made here, right? So what word is mentioned nine times or repeated nine times today? It's this word master, master, master. In our passage, you see, Jesus referred to himself as the master. That's interesting, kind of uh, strange, right? Listen, if you're from the West, uh, your modern ears, our modern ears might even be repulsed by this word master, right? I'll confess that was my initial take, but dive a little deeper into this word with me. Um, would, I, would you believe me if I told you this word master actually comes or is the exact word that is used in the Old Testament for the word Yahweh? The word kurios, kurios, which translates into the word Yahweh in the Greek translation of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint. So how about that? Just let that detail sink in. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. That's kind of cool, right? Elsewhere, would you believe me if I said in the New Testament, this word master or kurios is translated Lord, Lord. Thus, we can read today's passage as follows. The Lord did this. The Lord entrusted this. The Lord celebrated this, and the Lord called account for this. That's interesting, right? One might even say it's powerful, no? Keep in mind, this is Jesus actually referring to himself. So what does this word kurios, or master, or Lord even mean? Well, according to theologians, it means the one who has sovereign reign and rule over the entire cosmos. That's quite the claim. In fact, how many times is this word repeated in the New Testament, kurios? Over 740 times. And almost always it's referencing Jesus. Thus, if we ask today, who's Jesus? What's his title? Jesus himself would say, I am the Lord of all. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. 
That's Jesus' true identity. To further uh, affirm this claim, the writer of Hebrews begins his work with these words, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Boom, there it is. Jesus is the master, the Lord of the entire cosmos. And that's what our story first wants to highlight for us. That's what Jesus wanted to highlight for his disciples. Next, he wants to highlight his heart his heart for them and his heart for us. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, let's jump back in to the passage. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Now, when you think of the word talent, what do you think? Do you think of a juggler? <laughs> like what, what comes to mind, right? How does this translate for us? So again, let's dive deeper. For me, this word can be rather vague, right? Talent, you know? Is it the skill set I bring? Actually, it's not. It could mean that, but... In Jesus' day, it was much more explicit. Why? Because it referenced a specific amount of currency or money for uh, his early followers. In the U.S. today, as a reference point, what is our lowest denomination of currency? A penny. And uh, what's our highest denomination of currency? A $100 bill. Well, in those days, the lowest denomination of currency, or one of the lowest, was called a denarius. Such is what one person would typically make for one day of working. Meanwhile, one of the highest denominations in those days was called a talent, which is what Jesus referenced here in our parable. So listen to this, friends. It's not just that Jesus wanted to talk about money that's important here. It's actually the ridiculous amount of money he talked about which is important. At that time in history, it would take, listen, approximately 6,000 denarii, 6,000 denarii to equal one talent. Digging deeper, historians tell us that one talent would essentially equal five years of wages? No. 10 years of wages? No. 15 years of wages? No. 20 years of wages. In other words, Jesus' point in this parable was to highlight that the master is ridiculously generous. He gave one servant 100 years of wages to steward. To another servant, he gave 40 years of wages to steward. To another, uh, 20 years of wages to steward. What kind of leader or Lord are you, Jesus? I'm scandalously generous. Now fast forward with me to the 21st century. Frank, you with me? You're a money guy, right? You are on Wall Street. We have other finance people in here. Fast forward with me. Accounting for inflation, what would this look like in today's economy? Well, conservatively speaking, theologians believe one talent would equal somewhere between three hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. Three hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. And let me just say, I think this is really low because these are these are numbers from a 2010 commentary. <laughs> Thus, teasing this out for our modern ears, Jesus was saying to one, 
he gave 1.5 million as a baseline to steward, to another 600,000 to steward, to another 300,000 to steward. In other words, Jesus was saying, as Lord of all, I am scandalously generous to all. That's what kind of Lord I am. And with that, friends, Jesus reveals the kind of Lord he is, his heart to you and to me. He's not just the Lord, he's kind and generous as Lord beyond our wildest dreams. He wants us to catch that. He wants us to see that. He wants us to understand that. Shifting this into our modern times, this reminds me of my first gig out of college, my first job out of college. I've shared this story once before, but my first job was as a municipal bonds trader in Chicago in a place, listen, old timers, you know, called the Sears Tower, right? It's not called that anymore. Why did they do that? Just confuse us. They wanted to confuse us. But I worked for a firm called GKST. The job was hard. Uh, the learning curve, uh, rather steep. But something happened. I, I not only made it in the job, but the partner, one of the partners took a liking to me. You ever have a boss or a leader take a liking to you? Well, this guy's name was Gary. As a caring older fella, Gary not only coached me, on municipal bonds in the markets and how to take different positions for the firm. But he also enjoyed just talking to me and uh, chatting with me. You see, Gary was a believer. Gary's a believer not only in Jesus, but I came to understand he was a believer in me. And uh, as a young buck, this really meant the world to me. And not only did Gary mentor and disciple me, he also delighted in me by feeding me. He fed me. And let me just tell you guys, uh, a simple way to a Sorensen boy's heart is through the belly. It's a love language. You can look it up. <laughs> Consequently, by the end of my time at his firm, it seemed Gary and I were going regularly to this place called the Met Club on the 67th floor of the Sears Tower. That's really high up. We, where I grew up in Polk County, we don't have skyscrapers. So it was mesmerizing for my young mind and the view was not only spectacular, but the food was so great, right? You ever been to a place where you can have all you can eat, lobster tail, sushi, oysters on the half show? I grew up with Taco Bell, guys. I'd hit the lottery with Gary. And, and he would just sit there chatting with me, saying, eat as much as you want. And he would just delight in me. And I remember thinking, why is he doing this? Why is he being so generous to me? Why is he being so encouraging to me? And that relationship really did change my life. Now, looking back, I realized what, Jerry, what Gary was doing was he was intentionally revealing Jesus to me. If Gary were here today, he'd tell you that his love was but a very small reflection of Jesus' love. He would tell you that. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of all, and he is scandalously generous beyond all our wildest dreams. That's what we're meant to see. So wherever you are in your faith journey, Hear this, point one, understand the true identity and heartbeat or heart of Jesus. Now let's go to point two, live boldly in that, trusting in him. As I prepared this message, I couldn't help but think of another passage that came to mind that use, uses the same language. In this, uh, if you're facing something dark, something hard in your life right now, just tune in right now if you've been tuned out. Matthew 8. There arose a great storm on the sea, 
so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was sleeping, and they, the disciples, went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, Master, Corios! We are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Then he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Can any of you use some calm or rest or peace in your hearts today, in your homes today. You see, even in the dark times, Jesus is cordial, Lord of all, including over whatever fears you're facing right now, be it a physical storm, marital storm, parental storm, or physical storm, um, health storm. We can live boldly trusting in him, even with our fears. And turning back to our passage today, the opposite's also true. Even in the brightness of day, Jesus is Lord of all, and we can boldly live trusting in him, even with our finances, our resources. Look at this. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Friends, you realize through the grace of Jesus, we're not just called from something, but to something. This took me a long time to get. I would just confess my sins over and over again. Jesus, save me, forgive me. I'm such a misfit. And, and, and then I actually read scripture. I read the Bible over and over again. And I realized he's actually calling us not just from our sin, but to something much greater James chapter one, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights. Who does not change like shifting shadows? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That's interesting, right? In other words, every good thing in your life, scripture says it's ultimately God's gift to you. And each one of us are meant to live lives that display his goodness, his grace, his beauty to a watching world. Next, hear these words from Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Sarabelle, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Jack, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works for what God prepared in advance for you to do. Brooke, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Friends, what if we woke up each day seeing ourselves as God sees us, his handiwork? Might that change something? Might that change everything? What if we woke up each day, looked in the mirror and said, I'm God's kid. I'm God's handiwork. I'm God's servant and such will be made clear in how I act and talk and trust today. Imagine the impact you could make. Imagine the impact we could make as a gospel community. Dare I say it might spark a gospel movement in our city and beyond our city through this little tribe, this gospel community called One Fellowship. 
One fellowship, God has a plan for your life. Miles, God has a plan for your life. God wants to expand who we work for, how we even work for, and the very goal for, work, for which we're working every day. I hope you see that. My invitation is this. Would you let your imagination run wild with that today? If you're a teacher, you're God's teacher today. If you're a doctor, you're God's uh, doctor today. If you're a homemaker, you're God's homemaker today. If you're a realtor, you're God's realtor today. If you're a nurse, you're God's nurse today. If you're an entrepreneur, you're God's entrepreneur today. Be it in the night or the day, we're to live boldly trusting in Jesus as his handiwork. Amen? I just got some ch chills. Allow me to share one more story. A few years ago, I came across the following account as told by J. John, a pastor in England. Quote, it's always very difficult knowing how to explain what I do when people ask me. I'm a canon, which means a representative for a bishop in the Church of England. But I say that, when I say that, uh, people don't know what, what I'm talking about, so I try to be a little more creative. I was sitting next to a lady in an airplane at Heathrow Airport, and I said, hello. And she said, hello. I said, where are you going? She said, Singapore. And then she asked where I was going. I told her Australia. And then I said, what do you do? And she told me. And then she asked, what do you do? And I said, well, and I paused. I work for a global enterprise. She said, you do? I said, I do. We've got outlets in nearly every country in the world. We've got hospitals, hospices, homeless shelters. We do justice work, reconciliation work. We've got orphanages, marriage and guidance counseling centers. Basically, we look after people from birth to death, and we deal in the area of behavioral alteration. She said, wow. And I mean, she said, wow, so that everyone turned and looked at her. And she said, what's it called? And I said, it's called the church. J. John continues, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are part of a global enterprise. And not only is it global, but it's intergalactic because it includes every single person who's gone before you and me. I mean, that's an amazing thought, isn't it? One fellowship, in the words of the late missionary Hudson Taylor, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him to do his work through me. See the subtle difference, right? I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked if I might help him do his work through me. So returning to our passage one last time, I just love the celebration given to those who actually steward and don't dismiss Jesus and his gifts. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Anyone here like word pictures? I do. Multiple theologians I read this week in studying for this pas passage believe this word joy can also be translated feast or festival. Feast or festival. In other words, how will Jesus celebrate the man or woman or child who lives boldly trusting in him? He'll throw them, he'll throw us, he'll throw you, 
a party, a feast. Share your master's joy. Tim, share in your master's joy. Maggie, share in your master's joy. Alex, share in your master's joy. And at this party, I'm sure we'll hear Jesus smile. I'm sure we'll see him smile over his kids. One fellowship, be it in your personal life or our corporate life as a church family, let us grasp the true identity and heart of Jesus and let us dare to boldly live trusting in him. Now to wrap this up. First, let's wake up each day knowing that God loves us. God loves you, Gino. To each one of us, he's extended his great affection. How do we know? We know because of Jesus. So let's live with hearts of gratitude. Second, let's wake up each day knowing that God empowers us. He empowers us to each one of us. He's given great gifts. That's what James 1 says. Thus, let's live lives of great stewardship. And last but not least, let's wake up each day knowing that God wants to celebrate us. Bruce, he wants to celebrate you today. He wants us to share in his unspeakable joy. So let's live lives to hear Jesus smile. What an image. Friends, I pray this message lands with you not only in how you map out the rest of your days, but also how uh, you engage with us in this moment in the life of this church through the One Campaign. What an opportunity. What a chance to live boldly together in Jesus. You see, when we understand the true identity and heart of Jesus, we will live boldly and we'll trust him in how we do so in the night or the day. So let's do that one fellowship. Please pray with me. God, some of us at the baseline level need to know and feel and experience your love today. Would you break into the darkness that's in this room in different hearts and would you flood those hearts with your love? May they hear, uh, I love you, I love you. Look at Jesus. And God, would you help us to see that we're ultimately not only saved, but we're stewards of the big and little things you've given to us. Help us to be great in our stewardship. And God, help us to live for your joy. Let, help, us, help us to live for an audience of one to hear you smile. For our good and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.